This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Hi, Beauchamp. You're a, an incredible journalist by background, entrepreneur, beauty influencer. You just, you started Brown Girl Jane, which I can't wait to talk about. But guess what? We have a major thing in common. Tell me what? We both started our career at Seventeen Magazine. Oh, where, did you work at Seventeen? I did. In fact, I wrote a story for Seventeen Magazine. They got me expelled from school and they were so proud of me because I spoke up and caused a, a scandal that they made me the youngest guest editor. I was 15 years old and I was the youngest guest editor and I worked for all these incredible divas, but oh, I was the goodness. only Latina. And then shortly after I got there, there was a woman named Janice Farabee who was the first African-American editor. Uh -huh. We both were like in shock. Yeah. It was a, you know, the, the magazine landscape is so interesting and wow, what a commonality. I, um, I started my career actually at, um, Oprah magazine. That was my first job out of college. Um, and I later went on to 17 magazine, but this was in the heyday of magazine publishing, um, where magazine editors were really kind of like one, the early influencers, but also we have to think about the way that we consume news today on social media in these bite-sized chunks and very, very quick and rapid. And we didn't have that. We had daily newspapers for local news and the big hits. And then for cultural and lifestyle experiences, we had magazines. And so it was a very fun time. And also I think upon reflection, you know, as you were saying, it was not a diverse industry and space at all. And so to be in those spaces at those times with, without the evolved perspective that so many young people today have, we were not thinking about what it meant to be the only and why that was unacceptable because it was normalized then, right? I'm curious because you're such a, you know, the, this podcast is called Moneymaker and you're such a good moneymaker. And I remember being at Seventeen Magazine and all the women that were there were kind of like rich girls. <laughs> and I, I, I really didn't realize- That wasn't that, me. That wasn't me. It wasn't us. I think that I didn't realize back then, and you know, obviously I'm older than you, so I was there even earlier at a time when diversity was really not happening. And I didn't realize that there were jobs like in publishing where kind of rich girls went into it because their parents could pay for them. And that there really was no money in that. And that's when I early, even though I loved it, because man, just to go into the, the, I don't think people realize the beauty closet is a real thing. It is you a know, real thing. A beauty closet and a fashion closet. And yeah. it's like a smorgasbord of joy when you're a young woman. But I really, I realized early on, like, I can't make this my career because there's no money in this. Yeah. And those women were all like very taken care of. And they all lived in Connecticut and this and that. 
And I remember, and Janice Farabee and I still talk after so wow. many years because we both felt like we talked to each other and we go, what's going on here? You know, it was, <laughs> it was a, I mean, I, I will say and you're it was great. It was a, it was a very interesting landscape. And I certainly wasn't one of those moneyed girl. I come from humble beginnings, you know, born to a young mother raised by my incredible single mom and my grandparents, both my father's parents and my grandmother, Mary, my mother's mom. And so that wasn't my experience. I was very fortunate, however, though, because I had mentors and sponsors in my life who really saw something in me. When I started in magazine publishing, I think my my when I interned during the summer, I was an official part of Hearst Magazine's summer internship program. And at this point, they were compensating the structured interns. I think I earned like maybe $800 every two weeks or something like that. Or so. It wasn't much. And then when I started as an assistant, I think my first salary was something like $28,500. I mean, and this was in 2000. But we were to work a certain number of hours. When I worked over those hours, I earned time and a half. And because it was a startup landscape, and because I was a very dedicated worker, I earned a, a lot more than that $28,000. But, and I think the other thing that actually helped me to level set is because I also accelerated very quickly. I got raises a lot more often than most people. And so I was making decent money, but then you also had to look a certain way, which costs. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was all of those things that, that I don't think a lot of people realize. And we certainly didn't have this influencer and creator economy where people were just paying you to look a certain way. No, and you had to almost be an influencer in the magazine to the other editors to show, you know, to like stand out. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I do reflect, you know, I had some interesting experiences, but I, I stand by the fact that Oprah was one of the best work experiences of my life. It, I think, really cemented in many ways the trajectory that I would take both as a media entrepreneur, but also how I see beauty and how, you know, my philosophy around identity and experience. And I also had a really great experience working on the startup of, of Essence's uh, Suede magazine, had a wonderful experience at InStyle. And so, you know, there were moments where you, you look back and you're like, dog, you know, we made it and we got through it. It wasn't easy. But overall, I think those experiences shape who we become. And obviously you were always maverick because you wrote this article and got expelled from school. Well, and I think I think the reason I got in is because back then the editor-in-chief was a woman named Mae Richardson mm -hmm. who had been a nun and she had left the Catholic church because she fell in love. And so the fact that I was rebelling, like my art, the article that I wrote for them was about what it's like to go to an all-girl Catholic school. I think she felt a lot of unity with me around it. Mm. So it's it's funny how we get in the door in, in different ways. So yeah. can you explain a little bit about what those jobs are like? Because they are sexy, great jobs. They really are. Uh, and then yeah. you, get, you get in the door with designers and with fragrance and with beauty products before they ever hit the market. And you're the one that decides who's going to make it big and who isn't. So you have a lot of power. Can you talk about that? I mean, yes, it's it's true. I agree with that. And I think at that time, it, it, you really were almost the, the influencers of the modern day influencers today. I took my job seriously. I was, I was a journalist, so I really wanted to report and really wanted to, you know, add value and, and help consumers and people alike really understand what was important. I will say 
the power never got to my head because it was always a job for me. It, it wasn't something that defined who I was. And I think that that is probably the point of difference for me and some others in those experiences. I, I definitely knew I was very fortunate to be in those doors. I knew that it took a lot to stay in the door <laughs> and I valued what I did, but I, I, I never let any of that go to my head. I think the thing that I love most now is that when I reflect and that was, I mean, 17 for me was 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. literally 20 years ago. I started at Oprah 23 years ago. So 17 was about 20 years ago for me. And the beautiful thing is that I have now as a beauty brand founder, as the founder, one of the co-founders of Brown Girl Jane, I go back into these rooms in many cases with a lot of the same people that I was with in these rooms years ago. And I'm fortunate that, you know, they, there's still a level of respect you know, they honor and recognize that my humanity, they recognize that I was always kind, even though I was a boss woman. And I think that that's the other thing that I think is really important about the shift that I've seen um, in in that industry. To be a woman of authority, to be a, a woman, a boss woman who can make decisions, a boss woman who can lead, a boss woman who has intelligence, doesn't mean that you have to compromise being kind or being compassionate or understanding the importance of other things and values outside of the work. And, you know, I think that now when I go back into those spaces, and I I, I said this recently somewhere, I think I posted this on LinkedIn, like it feels wonderful now to be in this beauty space in the industry now where we're talking and thinking about beauty, not just as something that is, you know, external and superficial, but people actually are cognizant of what it means to actually help people feel beautiful and not just look beautiful. I think one of the things that would be great for our listeners to hear is the trajectory. I don't think people realize that back in those days, people that were editors of magazines have now gone on to be fashion designers like Vera Wang or like shoe designers or cosmetic brands because it like it's just like me working at a network and understanding the TV network world and then going to be a producer. You kind of know how the whole thing works and what works and doesn't. And so add to it that we now have social media and that you actually have a relationship with your customer directly. Can you just explain a little about that trajectory from being a journalist and being in there and knowing product and then going to making your own company, how that how you got to yeah. That. yeah. And I mean, I think that that's really important. And I, I say this when I talk to young people, but people of, of any you know stage in their lives. And actually, one of my dear sister friends is, is a former editor as well and an acclaimed author and writer and a big sister of mine. And we have this conversation. She's actually here at my house now, but we have this conversation often. Um, and she was a magazine editor, too, before me. And, you know, you have to look at the skills that you develop in any space and how do you leverage and build on it. Now, I'll be perfectly honest. I, When I started at Oprah and when I started interning at Hearst Magazines when I was a sophomore in college, I totally was just like, I want to be an editor-in-chief. And at that time, in the 90s, you know, going into magazines, the editor-in-chief, you never thought magazines were going to disappear. We didn't have Google. We didn't have Instagram. We damn near didn't even really have the internet. The internet was really new, right? So, you know, it's like I I didn't get a BlackBerry until 2004 when I was at 17. And so you thought that the world and the, the 
the ceiling was really being an editor in chief. But what I learned and what I think is important for people to know when you reference someone like Vera Wang or even the founder of Love Shack Fancy, who is also a former editor, the skills that you develop there, one, you know how to speak to people as a beauty editor in particular, and even as a fashion editor, while you are approaching it with journalistic integrity, you're also a marketer. You're trying to figure out how you're going to market this to someone. How is someone going to respond to it? And so for me, it was that, it was understanding that, but you're also producing photo shoots and we're producing photo shoots at a different level. Like our budgets for photo shoots at the, like cover shoots were like, I'm embarrassed to say, but you know, at certain magazines, we were probably spending $500,000 on one cover shoot. A lot of our photo shoots just for one page in the magazine. And we weren't even looking at budgets back in the day like that, but, you know, could have cost like $50,000 or $75,000 just for one shoot. And so you learn how to produce shoots. You know what it means to have the models there. You know how to create the vision board. You know how to create the mood board. You know what it means to have the set. So this is ultimately what you're doing. You're producing. And so what I realized when I left magazine publishing after leaving 17 and then going into philanthropy and then going to Vibe Vixen as editor-in-chief, that all of these things are applicable in other spaces. Mm -hmm. And because I had relationships with brands, because I was developing those relationships with brands, because in magazines in particular, beauty brands were the ones who funded the magazine ultimately through advertising. So I was interacting with the sales teams and the product development teams, as well as the founders of some of those beauty brands and the owners like the Estee Lauders of the world. And so it was my thinking, like, how can I help them connect and speak to consumers more? And that's when I started my first company, my media company to do just that. So I think it's about understanding like how your skill set can be applied and adapted to un- other industries. And it's the same thing we're doing now with Brown Girl Jane. I'm not a fragrance maker. I don't know. I'm not a perfumer. I definitely have style. I definitely have authority around what I know taste is like, but I also know what is going to resonate with consumers. And that's what we do with Brown Girl Jane. That's what I do with Morning Mindset with Ty and even the other properties that, you know, I have the great fortune of working on. So one of the things that you've talked about and like people are, it's really resonating with people is about health, wellness, mindset, and this idea of burnout. And so can you talk about how you landed in that space and like, why is it so important to you? My own personal experience. Because we've all (laughs) been there, girl. We've all been there. Oh my gosh. I I have to wellness myself out of burnout every single day, quite frankly. And I was saying this to Benildi. We live in a time where this is not normal. So we're all going to experience some level of depression, anxiety, burnout, exhaustion, fatigue, question mark, question mark, question mark in our lives, because we're living in a time where we're bombarded with so much. And I'm not just talking about social media. I'm talking about the hyperstimulation that we have in our jobs, the hyperstimulation that we have environmentally and the responsibilities we might have with family or with school or with have you. And it's a lot. So what I have come to for my own self was recognizing that if I didn't prioritize some of my own elements of wellness, and there are seven key elements of wellness, if I didn't prioritize as many of those as I could at one time, I would sink. So it, you know, really my focus on wellness came out of my own experience. And then looking at 
my friends. I have an incredible network of sister friends. Um, looking at my mother, who you know has done a lot and achieved a lot in her in her life, but she's still young and has so much opportunity and verve to go out into the world and do things. And I think to myself, how are we going to do that? And it's not just about doing things. And this is what I'm trying to reconcile, even for myself right now, because I'm a I'm a doer to a fault. I probably do too much, but how do I fulfill the purpose and the promise that I believe is on my life? And that requires support. That requires me being, you know, centered. That requires me having a clear mind. And sometimes, you know, life and life practices don't really support that. And so I just started to think about what that looks like. And then quite frankly, going back to what you were saying earlier, it connects directly to what I started doing. Beauty is nothing but identity. You know, mm-hmm. beauty is truly identity. It's how we see ourselves and how the world sees us. And so wanting to own what identity means for us as women, especially for marginalized women, how do I bring the idea of our identity being well, our identity being celebrated, our identity being supported? And so, you know, between Morning Mindset with Ty and Brown Girl Jane, And the events I host, the places I speak, the keynotes I give, it's really about helping women to see themselves in a way that is elevated so they can support what their God-given destiny and purpose is. I mean, it's, 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 it sounds simple, but that's what I feel like I'm called to do. Well, but in in Morning with Ty, you really talk a lot about how you start your day and how do you start your intention? So Mm -hmm. can you speak about that? Because it's, you're, you do it in a beautiful way. Yeah, thank you. Well, I I started to realize on the days when I felt like shit and the and I didn't do what I was supposed to do in the morning, the day was shit. Like the whole day was shit, mm-hmm. right? And so, I started to say like how can I make it beautiful? How can I make it rosy? How can I make it as illuminated as possible? If you read books like, you know, the the seven habits of highly successful people. And and if you look at research, both psychologists and anthropology, you know, study that if you have a routine, it really establishes, it helps you to establish kind of like clear movement. And, you know, so I started to do it for myself and it started to change how I felt. You know, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I pray, I drink my water, I pray. I spend a couple minutes in silence um, meditating. I turn on inspirational music for me, for other people, it might be Qigong, for other people, it might be affirmations, whatever it is. And then I read something that's going to affirm and absorb into my spirit and I meditate and reflect on that. And if I have time, I might journal. And then after that, I would work out. And the other thing is you have to get outside within an hour of waking up. Studies show that doing so really increases your serotonin and elevates your levels of joy. So I started to do that. And then I was just like, let me share this. And then let me see what other people are doing. And then from there, morning mindset really has taken off where, because as I said, you know, we're all overstimulated. And this is not just a black and brown woman thing. This is not just a woman thing. You know, when we think about, all of the challenges and circumstances that we're dealing with in the world. How do we process that? How, how, how do we process that? Well, let me tell you, I relate so much to everything you're saying uh, about the morning because I moved from California to Miami because my mom got very sick. I'm sorry to and, hear. Thank you. And, and it was, you know how like when your life, when one thing that goes wrong and then there's so much chaos and I really centered myself by creating a routine, like you said, you know, waking up, 
meditating first thing in the morning, eating a little something, praying, going, and then going to exercise every day, every day before nine o'clock so that I start the day on the right foot. And I find even now when my schedule is off or when I have to travel or something, it throws me off. Like there's something about what we're talking about. There's something about a routine. There's something about a process that is repeated um, that brings you back to groundedness, I think. For sure. And I think that we, you know, maybe in in times in the world that are calmer, maybe you don't need that so much. But right now, I think that that's what's tethering us to to something, something greater than ourselves right now, which we need. For sure. I mean, the other thing that we we failed to realize, and I mean, I was I said to Benildi, I actually wish, and she's like, you do so much. And I'm like, yeah, I I because I am a thinker and and I actually am from a personality standpoint, an introvert. So I get my energy yeah. being alone. And if I could, I would read and write probably most of the day. Like if I could. But that's also the nerd journalist piece yeah, of me. I get it. But the reality is, is that our human nature and our human condition is to is to find and create stability around us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to do if you live on the grid in, you know, a world like this. And, you know, I'm so excited because people are studying like blue zones and what, why blue zones thrive and why people live as long. It's because the lives are simpler. You know, they live in villages there. There's community. They eat a specific way. A specific um, way and the same almost every day. Like there's nothing so fancy, you know, our, our bodies, our bodies as humans are really not set up to respond and be able to deal with all of the freneticism that actually exists in the world. And so we're doing our best, but which is also why I think human existence is is changing. Even our DNA is really evolving because now it's forcing itself to adapt to all of these other things that are around us. So I'm trying to just hold on to my peace, Nelly. That's all. I think I I think Ty that it's that we don't realize it because it takes long for humans to integrate all this stuff. But we went from an analog world to a digital world and look like 20 years is nothing. And in 20 years, as you said, 17 magazine, they seem so, it seems so far away, but it wasn't because now the world is so digital. Now we're about to experience AI. You know, I, and you know this too. I always say to a lot of my friends when they see people that appear to be overnight successes or whatever, and you go, you don't realize what that person's going through because humans can't even take, such a change to their life that's so dramatic. The the, the thing that most of us don't talk about is integration. Like that all these changes in our lives and and especially ones that are quick, like AI is going to be a big leapfrog forward, are hard to take in as human beings and integrate. I don't think it's it's very challenging for me. And and I, I say to people like, and people look at me and they think I'm a lot younger than I am. I get that people think I'm in my late twenties or early thirties. So even when I say I'll be 46 in January, people are like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm really like an 85 year old woman 
on the inside. Cause like technology freaks me out. <laughs> like, you know, my parents still, which is sad to say, you know, as a single woman for right now, my parents still buy my technology. I literally call them. I'm like, how does this work? I want to talk about Brown Girl Jane because I want to know how you birthed that. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's get back to the show. Brown girl, Jane. The name is beautiful. How did the whole thing come about? I'm really fortunate. You know, what I will say before I even go into the business and of fragrance, a couple points. The first point is I started this business with two of my Spellman sisters who are biological sisters. I have to say Malika, our CEO and founder, has become one of my best friends. And we went to Spelman together. We were not especially close there, but we were two tall girls on campus. And so we saw each other all the time. And when we started Brown Girl Jane, our goal was to really support the wellness of, of women, to really provide easily adaptable things that you can integrate into your life to make life feel elevated and make you feel supported. And so we designed Brown Girl Jane, our fragrance collection, which is a fine fragrance collection. Um, it's all around supporting your mood. The fragrance industry is, is overwhelmingly white and French male. And so uh, we are the first black woman owned fragrance line outside of a celebrity brand, brand to be sold at Nourishing Bloomingdale's and Saks. And we're really excited about what we're doing because we're switching the the conversation to say that this is about you celebrating you. Well, I'm I'm your perfect customer because I just love perfume. I mean, I'm Cuban. When you leave your country, there is like a smell of the country. Mm. And some like in in the case of Cuba, there was a fragrance called Agua de Violetas, which is like it, it sounds like violet water, but it has all these other smells in it. And the the guy who was the founder of that took the recipe for it because we were communists. We had, it was communism and we had to leave in the heel of a shoe. Wow. And, and it's kind of like the smell of our country. Yeah. So whenever you smell it, you think of where you came from. So I am so obsessed with how your nose brings you back to a moment, a time, you know, like you're just, sometimes you smell something, you go, where did I smell that before when I was seven years old? And so it's but, just but, such a so, beautiful. So thing. Nelly, that's exactly it, and that's why we did, we chose fragrance. You hit the nail on the head. I was giving you kind of the ethos of our wellness approach. I was giving you the ethos of sisterhood. I was giving you the ethos of for you first. But that's the cultural nuance that makes Brown Girl Jane different. It's exactly that. One, our olfactive system 
is, is our system that connects first and most directly to our emotions and our psychology, right? It's the most direct connection to memory. So it takes us to a place. It also has that power, you know, when you experience a scent to transport you and make you feel a certain way. That's so that's why, that's why we went to scent. And that was the same. Those were the conversations Malika and Nia I had. And also with our product developer, who is also a, um, one of our best friends and one of my best friends. We talked about like the memory of, you remember what it felt like to go into school first day. You remember what your grandmother's house smelled like. You remember what it felt like when you went to the beach for the first time. You remember being outside sweating. You remember what that environment felt and scented like when you had your first kiss. You remember those things. And those memories are actually proof positive of what the possibilities are. And they take you back to a place of feeling great. And so we wanted to do that, bearing in mind exactly what you said. What do those Havana nights smell like? You know, and how do we experience Havana nights even when you're in Miami or when you're in Los Angeles or when you're in New York? Because it it creates something within you. And so we're on a mission to really shift the perception of what you know, the fragrance industry looks like from a physical standpoint. And we have incredible allies in doing that. I have to acknowledge the incredible Linda Levy and Sharnay Jackson at the Fragrance Foundation who have just really bolstered and celebrated us. Well, I just want to say I'm, I'm so proud of how you've connected the dots of all of your whole life mm. into doing beautiful content that helps women like us. And also that you've created products that are aligned with our deepest emotions and also the experience you've had. And you figured, you figured it all out. I, I don't know about that girl. I'm still I, figuring you know some things out. Listen, I tell people we're not, we try to be baked cakes, but we're always growing and evolving and learning. But, you know, from the outside looking in, and I get that you're human and yeah. human and we have bad days and good days, but you have really connected your, all the dots of your life in a beautiful way, in a beautiful presentation. And that doesn't mean that our days are perfect because they're not. I feel that. I got I got the memo in certain areas of my life very very clearly and early but I ask myself that a lot now you know especially as we get to this this segment of our lives where we've accomplished certain things that have been great and rewarding and beautiful and I'm grateful for them but you are also thinking about now what does this next season of my life That's look right. like I feel grateful that I'm super clear about my purpose and the alignment and also knowing what my gifts and talents are and how I can direct those and plant mm. those and nurture those. And then having the wisdom to understand there are certain things I don't know as well. And then having business partners and partners that then offset it. You know, I love the name of your podcast, but I also think it's really important that we see money, not just as physical money, the wow. money, right? You know, it's, it's really the deposits. You know, like, how can you be a deposit maker? How can you create, you know, and have, you know, not just consumption, but deposit in, in, in how we, we show up. And so I'm clear about it's rich and it's rich in every way, rich in every way, because it's for us. And it's especially for women of color, like it, it can't just be about money. It's like all the other parts of your life need to be abundant and rich and beautiful, your spiritual life, your personal life, your friendships, your so it is it but you but you know what i just want you to know that you you definitely emote that and show that that you that all the parts of your life are in a holistic place it doesn't mean as i said 
it doesn't mean it's perfect every day because the world is a, is a hard place right now. But I think you're very aligned. We're, I'm learning and growing, Nellie. And, you know, what I really do want, I want that for all women everywhere. But, you know, brown girl to brown girl. Mm-hmm. I can say that, you know, for many of us and with so much happening in the world, and I would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge all of the things that are happening. And there are so many suppressed and oppressed people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for us as brown women, because sometimes the the playing field was so unleveled from the beginning, I do believe that for the least of us to be able to stand in our full authority, the whole is going to benefit so much better. Of course. And, yes. and that's why I feel so passionate about how we honor and celebrate, you know, the brown girl Nellies of the world, the brown girl ties of the world oh, and, yeah. um, and how we provide opportunity and resource for them for mo- morning mindset or for brown girl Jane to really be there. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.